we watch dads, we have opinions. Motley Fool Money starts now. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm Deidre Willard here with my co-host, Ricky Mulvey, and our engineer, Dan Boyd. For a special ads review Monday, we're going to evaluate some of the uh, ads we saw yesterday, see if those publicly traded companies get their $7 million for 30 seconds money worth. Uh, welcome, guys. How'd you enjoy the game? Well, the game was actually good this time, so it's nice that the Super Bowl was a good game for once. So yeah, it was, it was a good time. Good game. I appreciate the rule change that holding is no longer an offensive penalty. Well, I was thinking about the ads last night, kind of dividing them up into the reasons that a company runs an ad that costs that much. I mean, obviously, you've got the audience, but you kind of have to have a reason, I think. So there's general awareness, right? I mean, you know, that's like your your Budweiser or something like that. There's a special promotion, uh, like the the TurboTax thing. Um, you've got maybe a new flavor of something or a movie. What what else? What other reasons do companies have for for spending all this money? I mean, I think there's the element of uh, on the biggest stage. Look at how good we are. Look at how good we are as a brand. The NFL did that. Dove did that. I will save my comments about Pfizer. And also, I mean, don't discount the ego element among some marketing executives. You know, this is the biggest stage for marketers. You know, the folks in the C-suite know that. And this is their time to maybe show off a little bit to friends. And also, I would say rebranding. Um, a few in that would be Snapchat. Snapchat had a big campaign that it's it's not social media. It's so much healthier than that, Deidre. <laughs> also, soda's good for you now. Olipop's making that case. And, uh, you know, the company in the middle of, of a little bit of a rebrand is, is uh, Budweiser and Bud Light specifically, you know, instead of uh, it had its it had its scandal with TikTok. It also it had a lighter touch in Super Bowls last year with Miles Teller just sort of dancing in an apartment, drinking Budweiser with his wife, listening to hold music. No, now it's back in neighborhood bars. You know, remember us. You love us. You bring us to parties. Hey, we even cast a white guy as a genie. Look at us. We're all the way back. We're Bud Light. One thing I had, I had a problem with that commercial, but in, in a weird way, they were yeah. like waiting in line to get into a place. Right. And then the genie like zapped him into the place and it turned out it was just some like regular old neighborhood <laughs> bar looking place. And I, yeah. I was like, they don't have lines at those. What are you doing? Bud Light. Well, it also, uh, it was, it was poppy, not Olipop. So clearly, uh, clearly oh. that brand didn't quite work. What was, right I mean, could you say soda more in a commercial? Every other word was soda. It was extremely grating. They got the message clear, but I forgot the, I don't know why I thought it was Olipop instead of poppy. Monday they look morning. very similar. It's, it's, okay. it, there's not a lot of differentiation there. I also well, like the, the vagueness other- about the poppy. It was like, it's soda, but yes. it's good. How is it good? Trust us, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and this year was different too because it's on. It was on CBS, which is part of Paramount, which also owns Nickelodeon. So you had this second SpongeBobby, more family-friendly feed. Uh, most mostly the same ads, although I guess there were some of them that were cheaper, around a uh, three hundred thousand for for. Uh, just so that's much cheaper, according to Ad Age. Um, but I'm wondering about this division now because it seems like we're not necessarily gathering around the big linear TV anymore. Maybe people are watching on streaming. Maybe people are watching on other channels. So is is this the future where it's not all in one spot? I mean, I think it makes a ton of sense. People have been doing this on what, what Twitch for, for years now. 
where you live, like people want to see a stream of someone watching a thing. If you have fam, you know, your kids are probably going to watch SpongeBob a little bit more. I watched some of the highlight clips, a little cringy, but also kind of funny. You know, you have George <laughs> Kittle explaining how he wants to meet Larry the Lobster, Larry the Lobster track talking a little bit of trash back. I think it makes a ton of sense. And there's also, if you're a marketer, you can focus in a little bit more if you're buying a cheaper ad on Nickelodeon, where maybe the CPM's a little bit higher versus that like hugely expensive ad on the on the national broadcast. My question is, did families even watch the Nickelodeon broadcast? Because the only people I know that watched it were irony-poisoned 30-somethings who were doing it for a laugh. I mean, how many irony-poisoned 30-somethings do you know versus like... I know a lot of both as a, okay. as a father of a toddler. Fair it's enough. It, You know, I, I, I travel in both circles, Ricky. I don't know how appealing it is to watch the entire game on the nickel, like the Nickelodeon cast, but I don't know. I'm sure a lot of, a lot of folks checked it out. I, th I think it's a very different experience in terms of, you know, you're not gathered. I don't think you're gathering around and having a party around, around the Nickelodeon cast, but, uh, but I, I could be wrong. And, you know, Paramount, they had the, they had the home field advantage in terms of putting lots of CBS promos on there, but you also had a lot of Disney. So who did it better? What do you think? Well, the point I wanted to make real quick, I just want to backtrack a little bit and say Ricky is spot on with the Twitch comparison. People love to watch people they like watching something. So something like the SpongeBob Super Bowl broadcast, or I think they called it the Bikini Bottom broadcast. Yeah, was, yeah the, the, the game was transplanted to Bikini Bottom. Sandy Cheeks is a sideline reporter. But uh, yeah, I think I think that this is this kind of thing is only going to grow in popularity, and I think that next Super Bowl we'll probably see some more. I don't want to say serious, but some more serious representations of this sort of thing uh, with with Fox is my guess at least. And, and then Deidre, to your question, is as we as we jump around the outline here. I mean, Disney was strongly rep represented, but it's 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 tough when Paramount has that home field advantage. Um, it's able to do its own broadcast. Disney's competing basically with a with a typewriter and a small ad for Disney Plus. So I, I would give Paramount the victory here. So let's talk about the 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 Taylor Swift factor. We got to talk about the Taylor Swift factor, right? I mean, one of the things that I noticed is, yeah, you had a different audience in there. I mean, you started off with uh, an ad for a menopause drug early on. Uh, you have certain you had. ELF Cosmetics, you had Dove, which we talked about. We had You had a whole lot of Timu. I mean, my goodness, so much Timu, which is uh, Pinduo Duo Shopping. I believe it's pronounced Timu. Timu, right. I know. I should have learned. It's terrible. They spent so big, so much, and the ads weren't, they weren't great. They were annoying. Uh, did that pay off at all? I mean, it's a, it's a, let's, let's focus or first on Taylor Swift. They did not show her until the second quarter. So they, they waited a little bit. The restraint. Well, that's because Travis wasn't wow. doing anything the first quarter. <laughs> I know, but you can still get the reactions of like, Ugh, oh, oh no. The restraint. It was amazing. <laughs> okay. Bold strategy. You play the same low budget animation commercial three times over the Super Bowl. That space is $21 million. I think they had about a $21 million, $21 million and $15 marketing budget. However, for as much hate as Temu is getting, if you look at the app store right now, it's the number one shopping app. Um, it has some class action lawsuits against it that I would recommend listeners check out before they start buying things on there. And it also on the, the Google search traffic page, it looks like the buzz is wearing off fairly quickly. 
But you know what? Is it better to have a cringy advertisement that people are talking about or if you have something like, let's say, Bass Pro Shop or Ford, where you spend a bunch of money on the ad space, and then it's a complete fastball down the middle that's easily forgotten against the much more memorable advertisements. I'm going for the cringe. That's a good point, Ricky. Like, are terrible ads good when it comes to something like the Super Bowl? Is something yeah. like Temu, because their ad was so, let's to put it mildly, crappy, like and people are talking about it because it was incredibly an an incredibly annoying song, poor animation. It looked like they got somebody on Fiverr to do it for them. Like, but we're talking about it on the show right now. I'm still not 100 percent sure what Temu is or what it does or why I would want to use it. But maybe the fact that it's a bad ad that gets a lot of reach, there's might be something there. They do like incredibly cheap like internet goods where they use like drop shippers to, to send it to you. So it's a little bit, I would say of a, almost a mix between like, it's like a weird cousin of Etsy and Amazon. Is it, so is this like one of those things it's, where it's they like buy a bunch of super cheap stuff from like AliExpress yeah. and then mark it up 10 or 20% and then just sell it back to us? Kinda, maybe. Kind of, I mean, except it's, it's much, it's, it's direct. So it's cheaper. So it's like really, really cheap, fast fashion. But okay, one one more thing on Temu. I will I will not remember the promo code that DoorDash tried to get me to remember that was like super long. I will remember shop like a billionaire. Yeah, what does that even mean? It means that you're buying politicians and you own private jets, Dan Boyd. Oh. They sell politicians and private jets on Temu. News to me. <laughs> Well, speaking of billions, so one of the things that um, I've been sort of obsessed with is is CoStar, which is the parent company of Apartments.com and Homes.com. Before the the Super Bowl, they came out with this idea: we're telling agents basically, we're going to spend a billion dollars. We're we're basically buying our way into Zillow's spot, and they did all these promo things before before the big game. These ads, I don't know. I was expecting something something bigger, but I think and the real estate agents that I'm like in social media groups with, they were also expecting something bigger. But for you guys, you're you don't really know that the homes.com or anything like that. Did it move you? Would you be more likely to go there over Zillow? C plus, it didn't really work on me. I thought it was weird that none of the ads really showed people buying a home or an apartment from the ones I saw. Yeah. yeah, it's it seemed like it was just hey, look at these celebrities and look at them be goofy, kind of thing. I don't know. It like the the good things about like Zillow and Redfin are their ubiquitousness and how you can look up any listing or get into any neighborhood and see what you know the intangibles are, right? So what what's the point of Homes.com? Can they beat that? Personally, I like Redfin. Uh, I think they have a very great search engine over there. Uh, so I, I don't know. It just seemed like a waste of money to me. I like Dan Levy, the the actor who was in in those ads, acting extra yeah. goofy. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't think they did what they were were looking for there. And I think that's a question of the celebrity in general, because we had celebrities stuffed into everything, and it wasn't like it used to be. Just like you get one celebrity in an ad, now you've got three, four, five, six. All over the place, stuffed in everywhere. You saw a, an awful lot of Dan Marino, a, a lot of Tom Brady. 
What worked for you in terms of celebrity ads? Oh, the Duncan ad, the Dun- the Dunkings. Oh yeah, with uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, uh, and J Lo and 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 Tom Brady and even Fat Joe for us for a split second. Like I, I thought that one was extremely funny, uh, especially with Matt Damon's reluctance to continue to be Ben Affleck's friend. I thought it was a good time. I have an overall take on this. I'll get to later, but I thought Mountain Dew with Aubrey Plaza and Nick Offerman that was that was a funny bit. Like they did a good bit and it was kind of focused. And I thought the the real winner for the celebrity ad was uh, Kate McKinnon with Hellman's Mayo with like the talking cat. And oh, they, they make so bad they made the joke work a little bit. I thought it was kind of funny. And at least it wasn't the parade of celebrities for, I would say, the borrowing cool factor. And they did a little bit of like a celebrity parade. The the Lionel Messi with Michelob Ultra like that was that was pretty cool watching watching Messi play soccer on a beach. I don't know if you needed Dan Marino and in, in that. I mean, I I was ready to believe that mixing carbonated alcohol and cardio is a is a wonderful idea after watching that. I the Kate McKinnon thing at one point in that ad she's eating mayo directly out of the jar. Yeah, and I physically recoiled from my TV at that moment. <laughs> but you remember that? I I guess so, but. I mean, I'm not a Mayo guy, so I wasn't going to buy Hellman's anyways. There you go. It's not for you. Well, what, what do you think was the worst? So for me, like Etsy, and I've, I've, I've not been loving Etsy's ad campaigns lately. Um, I get that they're trying to, they, they tried to be more than gifts. Now they're trying to be really just like gifts, gifts, really it's, this is what you get us for. It, it didn't work for me Is are there ones that like really didn't work for you? I mean, T- Tamu was awful, but we already covered that. That's a celebrity, not a celebrity ad, though. Oh, so okay. In the in well, the no, we're not talking about celebrity ad. We can talk about worst oh. ads in general. Yeah, Ricky. Okay. <laughs> I felt gross watching Martin Scorsese do a Squarespace ad. Oh, that one up. was bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. know. I just I was I was I was cringing, not in like a uh, this is awkward way. I was just like oof oof. Mm, I don't like that. It's, especially it was it was almost like a non sequitur too. It was like. Yeah. The ad didn't make any sense, and then you have Mark Martin Scorsese in there, and, and he's just like in a car. Like, what's what's happening here? Mister, I don't really like Marvel movies. Has now is now doing Alien Squarespace ads. It's been it's been quite the uh, quite the turn for for one of my favorite directors. Yeah, I didn't like the the Beyonce T Mobile ad. I thought that yeah. one Verizon. was. Oh, sorry, Verizon. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I thought that one was pretty. Uh, I thought I, I thought it was wasting Beyonce. You know, like like Beyonce is a charismatic force of nature and uh tony hale who is partnered with her in that ad is a very funny actor and comedian but that whole bit just fell extremely flat to me i don't i don't think they did well at all with that did you get that she was promoting her album though i i I think they were throwing in the we'll release like release the music at the end of the ad every time and I, I guess there's a tie-in. I don't know. It, it didn't make any sense. I, I I didn't think it was anything more than just annoying, to be honest. This is this is the circle of cynicism. I'll also say DoorDash. It felt like they were playing to only marketing executives by being like, "Haha, look at how long this promo code is." And then I think the sign for me. I did some research before this. They gave viewers less than three seconds to scan a QR code. Oh, I I will bet that there is a meeting where they are wondering why the direct response to the QR code is not going as well as they would have liked. And it's because you have to be very quick, very quick on the gun to get that QR code during the, during the Super Bowl. Well, I mean, didn't you have your phone out the whole time chatting with your friends about the Super Bowl while you were watching it? 
sometimes, I mean, the Super Bowl is a second screen experience. Like I want to see what's going on on Twitter, but I'm also, you know, I was making some food. I was, I was talking. I guess if you're at like a Super Bowl party, you probably don't have the phone out on the couch. Uh, But again, father of a toddler over here. So my Super Bowl party was uh, my wife and I on the couch with phones out. That's one of the best ways to do it. So as, as we wrap up overall, good use of money or bad use of money, Super Bowl ads. So uh, I asked on the Motley Fool Money X account, what commercial was the best use of the money? Some of the responses, uh, Silk with Jeremy Renner, you know, a, a guy who almost died does an ad for bone health, perfect use of a celebrity. That's from RKT Elliott's three. Neil in Rockville said Dunkin' Donuts. Mm-hmm. Analog, 618, going with the E-Trade babies. Pickleball is just mini tennis with a wiffle ball, LOL. Then our fr- uh, next cloud one said none, $7 million worth. I wish I had a better answer than I don't know. I really don't know if it's any of them are worth $7 million. I think it was kind of a down year for Super yep. Bowl ads. Uh, just nothing, nothing all that funny. Nothing. I mean, I, th- I think that, you know, the Duncan ad stands out as the funniest for me, but there was really no laugh out loud moments during the, uh, uh, during the ads. I mean, that's something that was definitely missing. The whole part of the entertainment of Super Bowl ads, I think is that you're, you got to have funny ones, Right. Like there were some definitely some uh, extremely not funny ads this time around uh, with like the anti-bullying campaign from the NFL and, and things of that nature, which are important and, and good. Uh, but it's not what I'm looking for when it comes to Super Bowl ad entertainment. Uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely would call it a down year. I liked the Hellman's ad. That made me laugh. I know you didn't think it was funny. They got one person. I'll also but say too. Is that worth seven million dollars? <laughs> is your attention? Is Ricky Mulvey's attention seven million dollars? That's why I said I don't know. One thing though, on the the overall, like it, it did make me think about awareness marketing, and you know, is it worth it? And who does it the best? Because the companies that spend a lot of money on awareness marketing are, I, I think, of energy drinks. And Monster Energy, you don't see them doing Super Bowl ads, but they spend a ton of money on awareness marketing. And the reason it works for them is because they're able to fully integrate into very specific events. Motocross, monster trucks, the UFC, they know their audience really well, and they show you that logo again and again and again. And I think that's really hard to do in a 30 second commercial when you're competing against so many other advertisers. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Hey, not a whole lot of crypto ads this year, huh? No, where'd they go? Huh. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Things change. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks, Deidre. Ricky Mulvey with Motley Fool Money here to tell you about a vehicle that is redefining sporting luxury, the Range Rover Sport. The first thing I noticed when I sat down in the driver's seat is that I felt like I was in a cockpit. You're up off the ground in a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. I also really appreciated the overhead 360-degree camera view that let me know exactly where I was going as I was backing out of the parking space. I went for a drive in the Range Rover Sport out in Littleton, Colorado, tested the accelerator just a little bit, and felt the performance and agility. It's an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. To put it plainly, the Range Rover Sport is powerful. It's also quiet and comfortable. Advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. 
The third generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable yet. I'd like to invite you to visit LandRoverUSA.com to learn more about the Range Rover Sport. Bumble or Tinder might be the place to find your next date or BFF, but what about the stocks behind the apps? Mary Long talked with Rick Minares about what to look for in matchmaking companies and which ones might be worth making a commitment to. I think to talk about dating app stocks feels a bit like a story of David and Goliath, because in one corner, you've got Match Group, which is a $10.2 billion behemoth that owns Tinder, Hinge, Match, about 40 dating apps and sites. In the other corner, there's Bumble with a $1.87 billion market cap. Why would a person put their money on Bumble, the seeming underdog in this fight? Well, Bumble's slingshot in this fight is growth. This David is consistently growing faster than the Goliath in this example. Bumble has turned annual revenue growth of at least 18% for four consecutive years. It's up 18% through the first nine months of 2023. Another reason to invest in Bumble is that this David is actually a Davina. Founder Whitney Wilford was a member of the Tinder founding team in 2012, but left two years later to launch a site that places women at the center of the dating app balance. And Bumble became one of the first apps for only female identifying and eventually non-binary users can initiate contact uh, with an interested match. And finally, a knock on Bumble in the past is its lack of consistent profitability on a reported basis. It's been reporting adjusted earnings uh, for some time, but on a reported basis, not so much. It finally turned the corner last year. It's come through with back-to-back quarters of positive net income, and that's likely to grow in the years to come. So, Bumble's slingshot is growth. Match is, as we've mentioned, undoubtedly larger than Bumble, but growth doesn't really seem to be happening in the same capacity. The stock is off around 80% from its all-time highs, and the company's biggest segment, Tinder, has seen declining numbers of new users and paying users in the latest quarter. So, with that in mind, what is the bull case for Match Group? For Match, okay, so obviously we'll start with the fact that it is the undisputed top dog. Tinder, which is the primary Match app, is the world's most popular online dating app. This is a major advantage. When you tell someone after they break up that there's other fish in the sea, you want them to be splashing around in the largest ocean possible. That's that's Tinder. Match Group, yes, you mentioned it. It's not growing as quickly as Bumble. It delivered single-digit growth in 2022 and again in 2023, but it's been profitable for years, so it has that going for it, long-term profitability. And finally, the third thing working right now in Match Group's favor is that the starting line, it's kind. Right now, the stock is down 80% from its all-time high in 2021, and it's down almost 30% from its summertime high just last summer. And with profits starting to climb, now the stock is trading for just 16 times trailing earnings. So, this is like a meet-cute where growth and value sort of just bump into one another at a train station. I think you can get both in Match Group. Sounds like an ideal rom-com scenario. Yeah, the thing with Match Group, it's got about 15.2 million total users to Bumble's 3.8 across apps. I hear that. First thing I think is more people, more options, yes, but also more data. Like if these apps are using algorithms to run people, Match that having more people on its collection of apps gives it more data to make successful matches. is that true? Do we see that that massive amount of data that Match, Match Group has access to actually gives its algorithms a leg up? Is there a way to quantify that? 
Yeah, well, well, obviously there are scalability advantages, and obviously the more data you can feed into a platform, the better the potential algorithm and the better the potential outcomes. However, there's also a reason why Match Group has more than three dozen other sites just beyond Tinder. Being the Walmart or McDonald's of online dating is great, but sometimes folks want a more specialized experience. So, yes, just like Netflix can afford to spend more on content than any other streaming service because it can divide its capex across a much larger base, Match Group has the ability to spend that much more to see what works and what doesn't. Unfortunately for Match Group and dating apps in general, unlike Netflix, where it can actually see how long you went into a show, when you stopped watching a series, Match Group doesn't follow you on your dates. It just matches you up, and that's all it really has. But again, yeah, the scalability advantages are definitely there. How much data it has to plug into its algorithm, that remains to be seen. The future is very exciting. How much of this business is marketing? I like to get people to use swipe and pay on one of these apps, you have to get them to believe upfront that they're going to find their person on this app rather than that one. So how closely do you look at each company's marketing spend? Is there a way to measure which company has a better return on that kind of spend? Yes. So, apps, obviously, they live and die by how they manage their customer acquisition cost. Uh, Match has seen its sales and marketing costs go from 16% of its revenue a year ago to 18% in its latest quarter. Obviously, not good when that figure's going up. Bumble, on the other hand, its sales and marketing costs went from 26 to 24% over the last year. Bumble is obviously higher, but it's trending in the right direction. However, you can't just take marketing cost or, or customer acquisition cost at face value. Bumble is doing a better job in average revenue per user, and you also have to look at the lifetime of a customer. The irony of online dating sites is that if they're really good at what they do and they pair you up with that only person you want to date for the rest of your life, you don't need the app anymore. So there's a reason why why eHarmony, uh, which is sort of like the top app gaze for people looking to find the one instead of the next one, is more expensive as a platform because they know once you have that long-term relationship, your relationship with the app is a very short-term relationship. So this works in the favor of, of Tinder or Bumble that can be largely seen as hookup apps because they are geared more for people that want to date different people without having to get on bended knee or swap apartment keys or anything like that. I think you can spend years on either app and still feel good about yourself and not feel like you're falling short. Match generated $785 million in free cash flow over the trailing 12 months. And management has said over the past two quarters that it intends to return at least 50% of that free cash flow to shareholders via share buybacks and other means. How do the capital allocation strategies at each company differ? Yeah, so, so Bumble is similar. While it's smaller and it generated just about $150 million in free cash flow over the last 12 months, obviously a lot less than Match Group, it has that same capacity where it feels, hey, my stock is down more than 80% from its all-time high. It's an undervalued at this current levels, and it's not afraid to eat its own cooking. So, just as Match Group has no problem buying back its own shares and making that commitment, in November, Bumble doubled their share buyback authorization to $300 million. Bumble's founder, Whitney Wolfhard, you mentioned this. She stepped away from the company in November of last year. And so, Bumble's brought in uh, former Slack CEO, Lydia Jones, as Herd's replacement. Match has kind of also had its mix-up or its CEO shakeup. Faye Iosa Toluno was named CEO of Tinder. She's been at Match Group for a while. She's been at Tinder for about 18 months as COO before being named the chief executive role. What are your benchmark exams for each leader? What do you want to have seen them initiated or accomplished in the next year, five years? Yeah, so there are a lot of new leaders here. And even for Match Group, the parent company, they got a new CEO less than two years ago. So obviously, Tinder, Bumble, and Match Group as a whole all with new leadership, recent leadership. 
I think at Bumble, the near-term goal is pretty straightforward. They need to build on that newfound profitability. They've always been a good revenue growth story. Now that they have a little taste of profitability on a reported basis, and obviously much healthier on an adjusted basis, can they build on that? Over the next five years, the goal has to be the same for both companies. And this is that grow the business. You have to A, have to grow the business. B, you have to grow market share. And C, you also have to improve its operating efficiency to the point where the bottom line is even stronger. And I guess I didn't get to match groups, their short-term in one year, I think, obviously, their biggest problem right now, the thing that's sort of scaring people, is that their usage growth, you know, the paying users, has declined. It's lower than it was a year ago, and even lower now than it was two years ago. They need to pick that up, because even though the revenue per user is going up, you don't want to be in a situation where you feel that my company's losing market share. My investment is no longer the top dog. I think that it needs to find a way to grow its numbers again, regardless of the math involved. There was a story making the rounds late last year about how more and more people are like shunning traditional dating apps and opting more for, I'll, I'll use the term, tertiary social media sites. They're finding love on Strava and Duolingo and less so on Hinge, say. We talked about like struggling um, new user numbers, etc. Is this emblematic of a shift away from dating apps? How worried should either company be about this? I don't even know if we can call it a trend, but about this story. Yeah, I mean, I hope not, but I don't see it that way. I think a lot of people aren't matching the numbers to the narrative that they want to believe in this case. So the pandemic was a scary time, obviously. And you might think there wasn't a lot of dating in 2020 uh, when we were sheltering in place for months, but revenue at Match Group and Bumble rose 17% and 18% respectively that year. In 2021, we got vaccinations, businesses open, travel restrictions eased up, business skyrocketed for both companies. And now we've had two years of back to back decelerating revenue growth at these two companies. I don't think that people are not going to give up on these apps just because they're on a certain app. To me, yeah, sure, the ability now that people can go to bars, concerts, festivals, it makes it less necessary to rely on the app to meet someone because you're actually out there in the wild and, and making connections on your own. But I do think that this is the kind of thing where I can't compare. I mean, I'm on Duolingo and I never approach it as the other people in my French Sapphire League are actually like trying to hit on me or vice versa. Uh, just all we have is an affinity to want to learn a foreign language. Or maybe it's just that I've been married 33 years and I don't know what flirting is anymore. <laughs> the price to sales ratio for each of these companies is relatively similar. Match is trading at about 3.2 times sales and Bumble closer to two. Considering that and everything else that we've discussed today, if you can only give your final rose to one of these companies, which has your vote as the better buy? I'm handling the rose, thorns and all, knowing that I'll get pricked by the thorns, possibly in the process, too, to Bumble. I'm a growth investor, and I'll take a disruptive speeder over the established leader if it's gaining market share, and especially now that it's become a bottom-line growth story, too. So, both stocks are trading, as I mentioned earlier, about 80% from their all-time highs. I think both stocks are attracted now. I think both can beat the market. They have challenges, but I think both can beat the market in the next one, three, or five years. Take your pick. I think that's where they all they do well. And to me, the one red flag that I initially had in Bumble when, when Whitney Wolford stepped down in November was, you know, she's gone. I, it, this was such a leadership-driven company. But the more I just read about it and said, well, she has an amazing story being at the genesis of these two world's largest dating sites. Lydianne came in uh, from leadership roles at Microsoft and Salesforce. She was at Salesforce when they acquired Slack. That's why she became CEO of Slack for a little while. And they trusted her with that. And now Bumble gives her the, you know, the company, hey, take over here. Bumble's no longer playing Cupid. Uh, I think it's at the point now where it's, it's, it's now a tech platform with the masses. And I think it should do, uh, she should do well there. And I think Bumble, as an investment, will do well with the new leadership at this point.
always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Deidre Bullard. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.